You are Locked On Packers, your daily Green Bay Packers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. We said four quarters, all gas, no break. You guys did that today. Hell of a job. R-E-L-A-X. Relax. We're going to be okay. It is time. It is time. I feel like we can run the table. We're going to do it. You are Locked On Packers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I am Peter Bukowski, and I cover the Packers for SB Nation and Packer Report. I cover the NFL around the internet, and you can follow me on Twitter at Peter underscore Bukowski. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at Locked On Packers. You can like us on Facebook. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, on Spotify, on Google Podcasts, wherever you find podcasts. You will find Locked on Packers, the number one Packers podcast on the internet, and the show for fans who know what happened. They want to know why and how. Packers superfan Iowa State Senator Zach Walls on the show today. A great conversation about him becoming a Packers fan, how that happened and uh, his experience with them, some of his takes. We also talk about uh, football in the age of the coronavirus pandemic. Uh, There was some news that has broken since we recorded this conversation. Uh, According to reports, at least at the time of this recording, uh, the Big Ten is going to play a conference-only schedule, and so that is uh, impacting the conversation that the the state senator and I have about Iowa football. So just something to keep in mind before we get to that. Now, I want to start, though, just quickly, because I do have a, a relatively long conversation, at least by my standards, uh, with Zach. And so I want to I want to maximize that with you. There was something interesting that came out yesterday. And by interesting, I mean bad and wrong. Um, get up ran a poll of 50 NFL executives of the top running backs in the league, and Aaron Jones is not on the list. Now, I said on Twitter that if you have a list of the best running backs and do not have Aaron Jones on it, you don't have a list of the best running backs. So I don't know why they even bothered with this. Aaron Jones is the only player since 2017 to average five yards per carry and score 30 touchdowns, and that is in a mostly part-time role for his first season, season and a half. Only last year did he finally unleash his full potential on the league. If he right now had enough qualifying attempts, he would be in the top 10 all-time in yards per carry. He has the same career yards per carry as Gale Sayers, and Barry Sanders. And that is, by the way, playing an entire season, well, most of an entire season, with Brett Hundley at quarterback. Aaron Jones didn't start that 2017 year until just before Aaron Rodgers got hurt, and yet still was able to be incredibly productive even when the defenses knew that the Packers were going to run because they didn't have any other option. They couldn't throw the ball effectively with Brett Hundley, so they just kept handing it off. And yet, Aaron Jones was exceedingly productive. He is a top 10 running back by any measure. His ability to play in the run game and the passing game is matched by only a handful of other players. And all he needed was more opportunities. He finally got them, and last year we saw what he was capable of. For him to not be on this list when guys like Le'Veon Bell are and Josh Jacobs are and Joe Mixon are, 
Aaron Jones is just better than those guys right now. And, and Josh Jacobs was a nice story as a rookie, but we're talking about a rookie. And then we could even go higher up the list. He has a case against Dalvin Cook, who has struggled to stay healthy in his career and isn't the passing game threat that Aaron Jones is. The, the top five, I would say, is pretty unassailable. You know, Christian McCaffrey, Derrick Henry, those guys, I mean, that's that's tough to break into that class. But Aaron Jones belongs in the conversation with those guys. He is a bigger passing game threat than someone like Nick Chubb, who was the most efficient runner last year in football, but is mostly only that. The fact that Aaron Jones is not only a terrific runner, but a productive pass catcher, which we saw last year, not just on screens, not just on swings, split him out and go win a one-on-one matchup with a linebacker. There are only three or four starting running backs who you can do that with. And it used to be Le'Veon Bell. You can't do it anymore. Kamara can do it. Christian McCaffrey can do it. Ezekiel Elliott might be able to do it, but we haven't seen him do it. Derrick Henry definitely can't do it. And so that versatility, especially in the modern NFL, is so critical. Now, what I want to end this conversation with, and we can get to my conversation with the state senator, is this does have potential impacts on the Packers and their discussions in re-signing Aaron Jones. Because Jones, when he hits the open market next year, assuming the Packers haven't signed him before he hits free agency, number one, he could be hitting free agency in a year where there either is no cap or a cap is very depressed thanks to the revenue losses from the coronavirus, assuming we have those. And it looks like we almost certainly will. So if the league, remember this list was not generated by some sports writer, not some schmuck like me. It was generated based on a survey of league personnel, of coaches and executives in the NFL, guys who make these decisions. So if Aaron Jones isn't seen as a top 10 running back, even if that's dumb, and by the way, it is, it could potentially make it easier for Green Bay and Aaron Jones to agree on a long-term deal that makes sense for both sides. Aaron Jones wants the years. The Packers want the price down. At least that's my assumption because that's usually how these negotiations go, and that's certainly how running backs are, are smart to play this. They want the years because they could be looking up at a Melvin Gordon situation where they're having to take one- and two-year deals. Todd Gurley, Devonta Freeman still, you know, this is, this is not the, the time to be trying to look for work as a running back. And a lot of these guys are going to be doing it again next offseason. So the Packers, if the league is not as bullish on Aaron Jones, the Packers can feel confident, hey, we think these are the numbers that make sense. Maybe you overpay a little bit because he's such a great guy in the locker room and he is such a fan favorite and is a cornerstone piece that you could you could really benefit from having him and A.J. Dillon and Jordan Love in the same backfield to have that continuity, that that star power already gives your young quarterback a chance to succeed in the future. You'd like to be able to have that. So I, I think there is some value there, but the Packers can look at this and say, we have even more leverage than we would have had before. And they had basically all the leverage before, especially after drafting A.J. Dillon. And speaking of leverage, it feels like you have none when you go to an auto parts store, especially if you're like me and don't really know what the deal is with car parts. 
There's just too much information. I don't have time to figure it all out. I just want to go and get the part that I need at the lowest possible price. And that is what rockauto.com can do. And you don't even have to go to a store. If you have access to the internet, your smartphone, your laptop, your home computer, you can go on rockauto.com and get the best prices on auto parts. They don't do the thing that a lot of car stores do, and that is say, okay, there's one price for you and one price for the professional mechanic. They don't have special logins for mechanics to get special deals on their product. They set their prices low for everyone. Go to rockauto.com and write locked on in their how did you hear about us box when you're buying your next car part so they know we sent you. All right, let's get to my conversation with Iowa State Senator Zach Walls. State Senator Zach Walls, thanks for coming on Locked on Packers. Peter, very glad to be here. So I understand that Packer fandom spreads across the U.S., across the world even. You are someone who has experience watching Packer games in very different time zones from the ones that they are normally shown. Indeed. But you are in Iowa. I'm sure there's plenty of Packer fans in Iowa. But how, how did your Packer fandom journey begin? Absolutely. So my mom, Terry, was born in Northeast Iowa, grew up on a family farm up in Clayton County. And some of her favorite memories from growing up are watching, uh, listening to Packers games, Bart Starr, uh, Packers legend. And uh, she grew up a Packers fan. It's right across the border from Wisconsin. And then I was actually born in a central Wisconsin town called Marshfield. Mm -hmm. So I got religion very early. Uh, one of my one of my earliest childhood memories is watching the Packers in the Super Bowl against the Patriots down in New Orleans, uh, sweet sweet victory, and uh, it was uh, just part of the the way that you you grow up in Wisconsin. Uh, and so for me, uh, Packers fandom is a, a lifelong lifelong journey. How long were you in Wisconsin before moving to Iowa? So we moved to Iowa City, which is where I live uh, in that area now in 2000. So I was like eight years old. So uh, Wisconsin was definitely where, where I was born and, and grew up as a childhood experience. But uh, I was home and, and has been for a long time. So listeners, don't freak out. But he did say eight years old in 2000. And I did intro him <laughs> by saying state senator. That is, is going to seem atypical to a lot of people. Tell me about that. No, it's definitely true. So I was I was born in 1991, uh, and I was elected to the <laughs> Iowa. Yeah, sorry, I was elected, and well, you should hear about some of the guys on the Packers now. I mean, I still remember when Randall Cobb was the first player born in the 1990s. I think to score a touchdown. Yep. And that seems like it was yesterday, and and now all these guys being drafted are like a lot younger than I am. It's just oh my gosh. Um, but I was I was elected in in 2018 after uh, my incumbent state senator. Uh, State Senator Bob Dvorsky, who was a longtime Packers fan himself, although he's married to a Bears fan, so I don't really know how that works. Mm. Uh, he retired after a 32-year career in the Iowa legislature, uh, and I decided to throw my hat in the ring and uh, ran, uh, won a, a crowded Democratic primary, and then uh, won an uh, uncontested election in the fall. And so I just finished my second session uh, in the Iowa legislature about two weeks ago. And the, the Packers, not just Packer fandom, but the Packers themselves have a ton of Iowa connections, including your Iowa connection. Uh, you, went to, you went to high school, is that right, with George Kittle? I did go to high school with George Kittle. Uh, his sister is my age. George is a couple years younger than I am. 
Uh, he did not graduate from West High School. So if you uh, ever like see any tape from him in college, you'll say that he graduated, I think, from somewhere in Oklahoma. Uh, but he grew up uh, in, in the Iowa area, went to Iowa City, West High for several years, uh, got to know him and his family. He is absolutely as cool in person as he seems uh, on, on social media and, and on TV. Uh, he's a great guy and really, really happy for all of his success. It must be hard, though, when, when those two teams square oh, off. It's, it's like brutal. It's like when you have a fantasy player and you're like, okay, I want him to score three touchdowns, but for the Packers to win by 40. It's like, can, can, we, yes. make, can we make, can we find that delicate balance? No, no, absolutely. And especially given that the, the two losses this, this last season in particular were so brutal. Uh, but, you know, always happy for, for his success. And uh, I remember picking him up when he was drafted his rookie year in my fantasy league, like 14th round or something. It was just a pure, you know, uh, sentimental play. And I really wish that had been a keeper, but uh, alas, it wasn't. And then I was also thinking uh, Christian Kirksey in terms of Iowa connections is yeah. uh, obviously going to be a really big deal for um, uh, the Packers this season. I think that he's, I think, I think assuming that he stays healthy, which is a, a little bit of a question mark, uh, somebody who Packers fans should be really excited about. He made a, a bunch of big plays when he was playing for Iowa. Um, and I'm, I'm really excited to see what he brings to the table at inside linebacker. Is there a cult following in Iowa? This is a critical question here. Zach. <laughs> is there a cult following in Iowa the same way there is in Green Bay Packer fan circles for the way that Brian Bulaga introduces himself on national television games. Brian Bulaga, uh, that was that was probably one of my the most difficult parts of of the off season was watching him go. Brian is absolutely beloved here in in Iowa in Hawkeye country, uh, and as a Packers fan, it was really really a bummer to to watch him walk away. Um, you know, and, and I guess I, I'm not a GM. I know there's a lot more going on uh, at, at Lambeau than, than I have any insight into, but I, f I would have felt a lot better with Brian Balaga starting at right tackle than Rick Wagner. Um, and then you know, the, the secondary decision there to not bring back Justin Veldier, I'm like, I don't know. I guess we went all in on the draft uh, in, in the offensive line, so that's good. I feel excited about that, but – um, I don't know. It, there's a, there's Brian definitely has a lot of fans and, and I included was very sad to see him go. Maybe, maybe there can be an offset here. Maybe there can be a little bit of a replenishment of the Iowa folk hero. And that's with Alan Lazard, someone that I know you are also very excited about someone that QB one is very excited about someone who was, uh, uh, I think an all time great high school football player in Iowa. Alan Lazard. Uh, so, so, so he was, I think he still holds every single record for Iowa state. Uh, and so it was, it's been several years watching him destroy Iowa defenses. <laughs> and so it's very strange now rooting for him and, and getting really amped for him. And he's obviously had to change his game from college uh, quite a bit coming into the, the NFL, but I think that he's going to be really well positioned. He's clearly earned Aaron's trust. I feel like that's huge in terms of uh, their relationship. And I'm, I'm, you know, I don't know, maybe this is an unpopular opinion. I'm, I'm excited to see where uh, Devin goes. Uh, Fuchness? I don't actually Fuchness, yeah. Fuchness, I don't know how you pronounce his last name, but I'm excited to see where he goes. Um, he served me really well in a fantasy league. Everyone has had Devin Funches in a fantasy league. Everyone and, and, at some point has had him. And, and, it, and, you know, so I don't know. I, I understand that there was a lot of concern about not picking, a, up, picking up a wide receiver in, in the draft and, you know, historic class, yada, yada. I, I get all of that. 
I was as surprised as anybody that we took Jordan Love in the first. But uh, all that being said, I'm I'm very excited. I think Alan Lazard is going to bring a lot uh, to the table, and uh, it's it's really nice to be able to cheer for him instead of uh, fear him when he gets on the field. Are you someone as a as a fan? And, and this is in, I think an interesting question, particularly given that that you're a politician. I tend to think that politicians. Um, at least by message, are optimistic by nature. Are you an optimistic <laughs> sports fan? Uh, well, so I think that you have to be optimistic to be in politics generally. Yeah. I think it's the work is so uh, difficult and and sometimes just soul crushing that if you're not optimistic, it's just not worth. It's I think it's hard to feel like it's worth the the, the struggle. Um, I'm so I'm definitely optimistic. I think that if you're a Packers fan, you should always be optimistic as long as Aaron Rodgers is your, your quarterback. Sure. Um, but obviously, we've we've seen some real um, some real challenges on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, and so, you know, look, are we going to go 13 and three again? Kind of hard to say. I was as surprised as anybody that we were 13 and three last year. Rookie head coach mm-hmm. Matt Lafleur. I guess only James Jones wasn't surprised, but everybody else right. uh, was was surprised. James was on so. it. He was on it. And uh, so, you know, I think, but I think we definitely go back to the playoffs this year. I think if, in fact, I'd say, I think if Christian Kirksey starts 16 games, we probably win 12 of them is where I would, I would, because I think that's going to be a, a, hu- a huge part of the, the defensive side, turning things around, uh, because I think that he's going to bring the athleticism that you need to successfully cover the run and, and do continues to do a good job uh, defending the pass. And so I think if you're able to do that, I think we've got enough offensive weapons, even though we didn't pick a, a, a top shelf wide receiver in the draft. I think we're going to be in good shape. So obviously, um, you know, the NFL season is in a little bit of a holding pattern right now. Uh, they have the benefit of some time when it comes to trying to figure out what to do with the precautions around COVID-19 and, and you know, player safety, staff safety, fan safety, if we get to that point. If they were going to have an NFL game in your district, what would your recommendation be about, first of all, whether or not that game should be played, whether or not it should have fans? I mean, what, what is your feeling about football coming back given the current climate? Sure. So, I mean, Kinnick Stadium is not in my district, but it is very, very close. I can actually almost see it from my apartment building here. And we're, there's a lot of question marks around football at the collegiate level as well not sure. just at the at the pro level and it's a huge part of, of our athletic department's budget if we can't play our our home season here for football it's going to have a huge impact on on uh, the budgetary shortfall that we're going to be seeing here at the university of iowa and so this is a question that's looming very large for a lot of people you know there's interest obviously in trying to figure out how how can you socially distance in a stadium mm-hmm. uh Kinnick, just like, you know, any other major stadium, you know, sits, you know, over 70,000 people, uh, six feet of social distance is going to be a very, very hard thing to do and to get anywhere near, you know, even if you say it's like a sixth of the number of people who are in the stadium, you're talking about 10,000, 12,000 people. Uh, so that's going to be really hard, not impossible, but I think really, really difficult. Um, I think you'd have to have mandatory masks, uh, which, you know, a lot of people, this is one of the things that's very unfortunate that mask wearing has become a politicized issue. I think you're in, you're in New York City, is that mm-hmm. right? You know, and, and I, th- I, I see even just people out in New York who I think by, by and large are complying with mask wearing. And I think that's, that's really good. 
I think that you try to tell 15,000 football fans they all have to wear a mask to get in. They probably comply, probably not very happy about it. I bet you probably see like a lot of the masks like, you know, up on the nose or down mm-hmm. around the chin or whatever. And that's really unfortunate. Um, and it's one of those deals where if everybody would just wear their mask consistently for the next three months, maybe we actually would be able to flatten the curve and like we'd be able to bring audiences back to watch sports in person. I don't really see any indication that that's going to happen. Um, and, and so I'm, I'm, I'm fairly pessimistic on this piece of it is like our, our audience is going to be able to watch football in person. I, I wouldn't count on it. Uh, not, not in September, you know, unless there's some kind of blockbuster breakthrough that we, we aren't expecting or isn't on the radar at the moment, which would be of course incredible. Uh, but I don't think that you can count on that at this point. And I will also say on a personal level, I just, my fiance and I made the decision about a week ago to postpone our wedding, which was scheduled for September 26th of this year. Uh, and so that's, this is a, a decision that we're, we're kind of constantly looking at all the data and, sure. and everything as, as closely as we can. The NFL clearly has a lot more resources than we do. Uh, and so their ability to make something happen once they make a decision is, is a little bit different, but my guess is that they'll be constantly looking at this and literally up until, you know, September 1st or whenever the, the first game is. I think something that, that has been lost a little bit is, how many in the big 10, this is true of, I think, well, every, every school with the exception of Northwestern, um, we're talking about public universities. Correct. And so the, the athletic department budget has repercussions. Really, if you think about it, bang on effects to the state budget. I mean, this is, it's not just, uh, an Iowa university of Iowa or university of Wisconsin at Madison problem. It becomes a state budget problem. If you can't have, you know, five, six games at the stadium. Well, and then you talk about liability as well. If you bring 10,000 people into a stadium and say 300, 400 people get COVID from that and three, 4% fatality rate. I mean, that, I mean, again, um, it's, it's, it's a huge question mark. Uh, And then if you're not able to, uh, to, to, have the, the season as it unfolds, I mean, the university of Iowa football program is what funds sports for, virtually every other sport on campus right. except for basketball and so you know it's and wrestling you comply with title nine i mean it, oh it my god a no, whole it, can of worms there yeah that's exactly right and and you know on top of all of that we're trying to still figure out if we're going to be able to have in-person teaching you know right uh, at the moment the, the plan is to move forward with in-person instruction but even that is you know again all the thing that's i will honestly say peter is the thing that, that is most frustrating about all of this is how fluid and dynamic the situation is and for how long that has already been true like three and a half months now and for the foreseeable future that's kind of where it looks like things are going uh one of the the most insightful conversations I've heard around this topic was the New York times daily podcast had uh, one of their science experts or editors who's like been really up to speed on this. And he, he had this phrase for it called the hammer and the dance where the dance is you start to slowly open and, and reemerge right out of lockdown. And the hammer is once those infection rates start to go, you bring the hammer back down mm-hmm. and the, the NFL, uh, in some extent, collegiate athletics are in an, a slightly unusual situation where, you know, you can still play the game with a very few number of people. You don't need to have all of the fans watching and you can still deliver a product that a lot of people are, are really excited about. But there's nothing that's ever going to be being there in person at a football game, at a basketball game, watching sure. it live. And so my heart goes out to the athletes, goes out to the coaches, goes out to the fans. Um, but at the end of the day, public health is going to have to be for both practical, for financial considerations. I mean, it's gotta be number one. 
We're going to get back to Zach in just a second. But before we do, I want to tell you about Bobbles Galore. You've heard me tell you about Bobbles Galore in the past, and now is the perfect time as we head into the season to show off your fandom. They have a vast inventory of bobbleheads from major sports leagues, Packers, Brewers, Bucks, Major League Baseball, the NBA, the NFL, everything that you could possibly want. And they have two really cool limited edition prizes that you can go and and buy. A triple MVP Wisconsin puzzle bobblehead that showcases Giannis and Tedekumbo, Aaron Rodgers, and Christian Yelich. And the Bucks are about to get restarted in Orlando. So get your Greek flag Giannis bobblehead. They both come with really cool augmented reality experiences. And they also have a super friendly chat feature on their website. So they're always there to answer your questions, whatever they might be. Bobbles Galore can also make custom bobbleheads for any occasion. Great birthday gift. Everyone wants a bobblehead, right? Go to bobblesgalore.com, use the promo code locked on, and get free shipping. You and I, uh, you know, we exchanged some messages before we we did this, and and I mentioned to you, um, at least in, in terms of the athlete part of it for our discussion, this uh, not even a question, but this topic of social justice mm-hmm. and athletes who are now feeling more comfortable speaking out. And the reason I bring it up is because you mentioned to me that you thought this felt like a tipping point to you, um, and we see NBA players like Kyrie Irving saying, "Are we by playing?" missing an opportunity to drive this conversation forward. It does seem like, you know, based on our earlier conversation, the coronavirus is driving some of the eyeballs that this is getting. It does feel like a moment. I think you're right about that. Um, but why do, you, why do you think this feels different? It's a good question. You know, so uh, my background before uh, I got into politics was in advocacy around LGBTQ rights. So I have mm-hmm. lesbian parents. I've got two moms. Uh, my mom, uh, Terry, was the fan from Northeast Iowa. My mom, Jackie, is also a lifelong Packers fan. From She was born and raised in Wisconsin. And one of the things growing up with gay parents and then doing uh, advocacy work in that area was I saw firsthand the power that personal stories share and helping people kind of reconsider some of their preconceived notions. And this mm-hmm. was specifically around marriage equality. But my my sense and kind of what, why I think this is different a little bit now is because since 2014 and the events in Ferguson, Missouri, when Michael Brown was shot and killed by a police officer, we have now had essentially six continuous years where every single year there has been a police shooting uh, or other um, death at the hands of a police officer of black Americans. There has been high definition video. Those videos have gone viral and percolated out through social media and through conventional media. And so what I think has happened to some extent is that even though we continue to live in society that is relatively segregated, right? Most white people mostly know other white people and most black people mostly know other black people. And so it's a little bit different from LGBT uh, advocacy in the sense that there isn't that kind of random distribution throughout the population. We have now gotten to a point where there's been enough exposure via social media and other, other kinds of journalism of these videos and of these interactions that I think that there's a critical mass of white Americans who can really no longer deny that this is happening in America. And as a result, as more and more white people kind of started to see this clearly and be willingly um, for the first time, I think that there's become a certain amount of that, that critical mass or that we're it's not coming out uh, in the sense that it's for LGBT folks, but you see white people start to speak out more and, and to say the things that black uh, Americans have been saying for a very long time. 
uh, and to see that with new eyes. And so I think, and also I think part of it is a generational change too. I mean, you, you, th you think about police officers today who are our age, who are going through the academy, are being taught by guys who are, you know, 20, 30 years older than them, who themselves were taught by guys who are 20, 30 years older than they are. And so there's real generational change happening. And, and so a lot of the, the, the violence that we're seeing, I think really is being perpetrated uh, by officers who, who tend to be older um, and who tend to have gone through training by people who are kind of just from a different era of American life. And today I think we're seeing more, uh, white Americans, more black Americans, more people across the entire racial spectrum were just saying, this is unacceptable and it has to change. And, and yeah, there's always conversation about, you know, looting or vandalism or whatever, but that's just not as important as the fact that this injustice has to stop in America. Yeah. And, and I think it was NPR did a poll on, on what changed about people's engagement. And one of the things that a lot of respondents said was they saw on social media, it wasn't just people of color who were talking about this, it was everyone. And so right. seeing your white friends talk about this, not only normalized the, that conversation, but made you feel like, well, if I'm not engaging with this, am I doing something wrong? And I think a lot of people realized, oh, hey, right. maybe I am doing something wrong by not engaging with this because by, by choosing not to, I'm, I'm relaying my own blindness or, or privilege or, or whatever you want to call it in that moment. And, and so I'm, I'm actually fascinated to hear that in a state like Iowa that is predominantly white, you feel like there is potentially a, a sea change here. Yeah, I think it's definitely a, a turning point. And I think that we've got a long ways to go, obviously, sure. you know, so the, the Iowa legislature, when we, we suspended the session for a few months because of COVID and then we reconvened on uh, June 3rd. And I was part of a group of legislators who came together to propose some police reforms. Uh, Republican, uh, the trifecta in, in Iowa, so they control both chambers of the legislature as well ownership. But Democrats and Republicans were able to work together to take a, I would say, a very small first step, but still a step in the right direction towards reforming some of those use of force standards, as well as making sure that officers who have allegations of serious misconduct in their file can't just like bounce from department to department to department, which is something that, that happens in a lot of places. Uh, and, and my hope is that we'll see, continue to see more reform. You know, I think that we've seen a little bit, at least in our area, we've seen a little bit of the energy behind some of the protests slow down to some extent, but we are continuing to see uh, policymakers and leaders at the city level, at the county level, and, and to some extent at the state level, continue to push an agenda of reform ahead. And that's really exciting to me. Uh, I think it kind of remains to be seen, like, how does this all end? And, and for me, I think the real barometer of success will be not just how does this conversation apply to police reform, but then also how does it apply to housing policy? How does it apply to education policy? Because when you see uh, a, a, you know, a brutal or a violent or a murderous police encounter end a life, we have to understand that there are a huge number of policy decisions that affected that person's life that led up to that moment as well. And I think that until we're able as policymakers to take a very comprehensive view of things like housing, of things like education, uh, and, and of course, criminal justice reform and policing, I don't think that we're going to be able to fix this problem uh, because in so many instances, the police are being deployed as this kind of um, attempt at a solution to a problem for which they are not really matched, right? Mm -hmm. Police shouldn't be uh, expected to respond to a mental health crisis. They shouldn't, to some extent, I don't even think be like people who are responsible for, you know, a, a traffic violation, right? Like, why do you need to have a handgun to uh, write a speeding ticket? 
I don't know. That doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Uh, and, and so I think that there are, are going to be a lot of areas where we're going to look at how are the roles that police officers are, are playing handled in, in, in our society. And I think that has to be, again, part of this broader conversation we have about um, how the current political status quo is affecting people of color in America. I appreciate your your insight on on all these topics. Um, I, I do want to get you out of here on a, a Packers question. Sure. And uh, I, I think it is a question that a lot of Packer fans are wrestling with, and that is uh, now that Jordan Love is in the building and he is now physically in Green Bay, we know that for sure. He's working out at Synergy Sports with A.J. Dillon and, and your boy Alan Lazard at Synergy. Um, and how do you want to see the Aaron Rodgers era and in Green Bay, how long do you think it will? What is your, what is your prediction and your preference on how this all goes down here? Yeah, well, my preference is four straight 19-0 seasons with back-to-back <laughs> pro MVP honors and then, you know, uh, retires in 2024 or whenever that would be and then hands off the reins to Love, who then has a Hall of Fame career. Uh, how does it realistically end? I mean, kind of hard to say. You know, obviously, I would love for Rodgers to get at least one more ring uh, with the Packers. It feels, you know, I understand it's a team sport. QB wins aren't a, a real stat, et cetera, et cetera. But I, I would love to see, no pun intended, to see uh, Rodgers get at least one more ring with the Packers before he either retires or moves on to his next team. And I don't really care what team that is as long as it's not in the NFC North and really not the Vikings. Um, you know, for love, I, you know, I don't know. I was, I was as surprised as anybody. Uh, I think was it maybe Andy Herman was like tweeting about how he, it could be anybody in the first round. He'd be happy, but not like love or maybe a couple other quarterbacks. Um, and I, I remember, you know, being a little, you know, and I get, I, I read the stuff out there about the contract and, you know, we can't get him on a cheap rookie deal if he hits, but the reality is if, if love comes through and he's the guy and you get a franchise quarterback, I was born in 1991. And that would mean that we would have a franchise quarterback level of play for basically my entire life, you know, out for another 15, you know, 10, 11, 12 years. I mean, right. 40 straight years. Of still only 21. Yeah. I mean, and I don't understand how he's Packers almost as team. young as you. <laughs> I'm 28. I mean, I'm basically, <laughs> and I can turn 29 in two weeks. So um, happy early like, birthday. Thank you. Uh, but my, you know, my sentiment is look, if, if it hits, it hits and that's fantastic. And if, and if he doesn't, I mean, how many other first round draft picks have the Packers had in the last couple of years that didn't, didn't pan out? There are plenty. Um, and so I, you know, I have a hard time getting too, too worried about it. And, and look, if it, it gives Rogers more fuel for his fire and, and he gets out there and he's, you know, really focused on being the best quarterback he can be. And this adds to that, you know, all the better. Uh, but for me personally, I hope it hits. Uh, I hope that he has, you know, he brings that level of franchise quarterback play to the franchise. Uh, I hope that he has a couple of years to learn and really kind of continue to refine his game. Um, but I, I, I find it really hard not to get excited when you see some of the stuff that he did uh, on tape. It, it, it's, I don't know, I see flashes of Rodgers, I see flashes of Favre, and it's really, really exciting to think about what that would mean to have another franchise quarterback in Green Bay. Zach, this was great. I appreciate you taking the time and, uh, uh, let's let's do it again. I would I'd be happy to. No, this is way more fun than politics. So uh, anytime you want to bring me on, you just let me know. <laughs> All right. I want to thank Zach for joining the show. He told me to call him Zach, by the way. So I know that there's, you know, you, you could be, you know, be be respectful. Yeah. Okay. I asked him. I said, do you want to state senator, senator, 
you know, what's what's the protocol here? And I said, I'll introduce you as state senator, but then in conversation, what do you want me to call you? And he said, that's perfect. Just call me Zach. Totally fine. So I did that. Uh, I think that was a, a useful conversation. I know it was for me. It was fun for me to have. So I hope it was fun for you as well. We are doing our NFC North division crossover next week. So we're going to talk Packers, Bears, Duh Bears, Vikings, and Lions. And we're going we're gonna to spend next week talking about the division, where they are, where they've been. We did this earlier in the offseason before the draft. And uh, a lot has changed since then. So a lot to talk about, a lot to get to. These rosters have fundamentally changed. And uh, I think that's going to bring a lot of good conversation. So we're going to do that. And, and then after that, it's almost time for the rookies to show up. So uh, that, that's going to be stuff for us to talk about. Actual football, hopefully we're able to play it. And, and I hope that, that everyone is able to do it in a safe way. I hope we get sports. You know, we're, we're finding out new stuff every day about restrictions. And some leagues are, are going to do it and some aren't. And so, you know, there, there's a lot that can change between now and then. And hopefully it's able to change for the better. Remember, you can follow me on Twitter at Peter underscore Bukowski. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at Locked on Packers. Like us on Facebook. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, on Spotify, on Google Podcasts. Wherever you find podcasts, you will find Locked On Packers. And anytime you want to hit us up on the Locked On Packers fan hotline, you can do that. 920-341-3775 to stay Locked On Packers. <laughs>